You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. your inside pass to everything Saints football. We'll take you to the places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Oh, baby! Welcome in, Saints fans. It's another edition of Inside Black and Gold, and we are in game week and finally got to see a little bit of action as we lead up to Sunday's matchup against the Falcons. Uh, some players back on the practice field, some missing that, uh, I guess you would say, a little bit of a surprise. We'll get into something uh, Jeff wants to talk about with Bradley Roby and also some keys to taking down the Falcons. No, not keys to taking down the Falcons. I don't need to talk about that because we already know the Saints should beat the Falcons. These will be three keys to how the Saints dominate the Falcons because that's what you should be expecting. The Saints should not be walking in to that tanking team's building and saying, oh, we just hope we can, we can scratch out a win. This should be a, okay, we're going to walk in there. We're going to beat the bricks off these guys. And then we're going to start getting ready for the Bucks in week two. So now, I guess I, you're, confidently say, taking, you're, you're confidently taking five and a half points then. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I sh- you, that's the thing. You should be confidently taking five and a half points. And they're going to tell you all day long they're not looking past the Falcons, whatever. And that's fine. But, you know, I, I would not be satisfied with going in there and getting a, getting a close game from the Falcons. Because this is a team that should be, that is on paper, better at basically every position. So anyway, it's going to be three keys to dominating the Falcons. I want to get that straight. But yeah, the first thing we're going to get into, we're going to get into the injury report. But more importantly, we're going to get into Michael Thomas back on the field. He looked good. You know, every time I see him on the field, I'm like, oh yeah, was that guy hurt? I, I don't know. He was limited today. But that's just kind of the, the, the kind of ramp up, as we've talked about a lot, from, okay, you weren't practicing, now you're limited. 
in a couple of days you'll be full and then we'll go. Um, but I really do think for Mike, it was like, okay, he's, he's got a sore hamstring. We're going to give him some rest so that we can really push him this week and get him into game week. Dennis Allen wouldn't, you know, say high or low, whether he thinks Mike's going to play, but you know, the, the tone with which Mike answered questions and the look on his face did not strike me as a guy who was wondering whether he's going to play. I think he's going to play. Yeah. And I don't think he would have graced his presence with, you know, with us if, if things weren't looking good on the positive for Sunday, uh, definitely a more approachable Michael Thomas today was actually held court in front of the entire media, which was impressive. Just sat down on one of the tables in the, in the media in the locker room. And yeah, I mean, even, even he seemed kind of happy to be talking to the media. It was a little strange. I mean, that's the goal. I feel great. Um, I think I had a great week day. Um, Coach preaches about winning the week and winning it day by day. So uh, I think I could bank my Wednesday and look forward to coming out here and banking a Thursday. How much are you reaching? I'm ready for all you guys to see me play. Um, I'm I'm itching very much. I think it's kind of obvious, but I don't want to. I don't want to get too excited for a couple of days. I like that. I'm ready for all you guys to see me play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, it was interesting. And so to kind of set the scene here, uh, Mike has a corner locker, <laughs> which it's you know a desirable locker because it's basically a twofer because you get both. And like Cam has a corner locker as well, but it's not a very exactly accessible right now because the plexiglass kind of barricades that they put up between the lockers are still there. So he's basically in this little enclave and, you know, we came in and so he's there and we're about to talk to him, but only like two reporters can get into that corner and all the TV cameras out easily. Yeah. yeah, And all the TV cameras are like trying to push each other out of the way to get in there and get this like crazy angle. Um, And I expected him to just be like, well, good luck and then leave. But, you know, instead he got up and, like I said, I thought he was leaving, but instead he just walks around and kind of sits on the on the table and allows everyone to kind of gather around and talk to him. And it's like, that's not the Michael Thomas that I remember. <laughs> you know, it it almost seemed like he wanted it, uh, which, you know, maybe, maybe he does. You know, I think there is, and I was just talking to Christian and Bobby on Sports Talk about this. Like, I think when you miss a season and you kind of have to take a step back, just like Jameis did, and like appreciate like, man, I actually do really like playing football. And I think a lot of the process of that feels a little different than, you know, when you're just in that grind every day and you don't really have to kind of get that perspective. And I think he appreciates the attention now a little bit more. He appreciates the ability to just be like, yeah, I'm going to go play football this weekend. And, you know, I think that's part of the reason you're seeing him be a little more congenial with the media. Cause I think I, I felt like other than, other than Jeff Duncan, he has been very, very approachable and very friendly to the media. He's still, you can barely hear him when he talks, but you know, uh, you know, I, I, as long as you can hear him, you know, that's, it's, he's been good. I was definitely surprised on how he approached us today. I, I thought for sure. And I call them the hockey boards that, you know, we're, we're barricading us there in the locker room between uh, how the players are separated there. I didn't, I didn't think that, we were going to get any kind of access to him and just be SOL. Uh, but luckily, definitely anxious to see more of him at practice during the week. I know we don't get to see much still, but I, I 
him being limited today is a huge positive in the fact that you can see the likelihood of him playing Sunday is pretty high, I think, considering that hamstring issue has been something that he's been nursing since Green Bay. And I feel like he should be on track to get back. And, you know, he fought so hard to get back from this ankle injury and look phenomenal during training camp. It would just be a huge downer if for whatever reason he isn't able to suit up on Sunday. Yeah, and just to kind of get this here, this is the injury report that was put out today. It's the first injury report that we've gotten so far. Um, one update is Tanner Owen is actually out with an illness. They had initially put him out non-injury related. But yeah, I, like again, I think, and I've said this, it really did strike me that last week was a get-right week for a lot of these guys. And, you know, for, you know, guys like Landon Young and Paulson Adebo are the ones that I'm a little more concerned with because Absolutely. when I talked to Landon Young last week, he told me he had kind of kicked the hip issue. So this means that the hip is still kind of aggravated and that's something to consider. Anytime you have a guy who goes out with the same injury twice, that's not a great sign. It's not a positive sign. So that'll be something to watch. He was at practice, but wasn't participating in drills. Um, Traquan Smith was also at practice and not participating. I thought that his injury designation was interesting because I exactly. thought that he was going to be out with his shoulder, but it's actually a groin injury, which, you know, I, I think that's actually a positive thing because it looked like he went down hard on that shoulder and it would have been a kind of an impact injury that you were concerned with. So, you know, the groin injury is probably a little less significant if it is an injury, but yeah, Michael Thomas got that hamstring. He didn't show any signs of, of it being an issue. We only get about 25 minutes to watch practice at this point. So we don't know exactly how much work he got in. He was in the initial like drills and the routes against air. I would guess that he was not in the team portions or at least not in them completely. Otherwise he would have gotten a full practice. So that's going to be, you want to see that L change to an F um, at some point throughout the week. But again, getting, getting him out on the field on Wednesday is a great sign Whereas a guy like Paulson Adebo, I, you know, I don't know if, if he doesn't practice tomorrow or Friday, I don't know if you can, you can confidently say that he's going to be available because, you know, he's a, he's a guy you want to get reps. And we, as we've been talking a lot about Mike, we know how ankle injuries can, uh, can, can last when you don't, when you don't um, give them enough time to heal. So uh, I don't think this is going to be a team that, that uh, takes any risks with an ankle early in the season, especially not when you have, as we're going to talk about a little more Bradley Roby to back him up if you need it. So, you know, that's, that's interesting. We also, the Eric McCoy injury is one I had not heard about. He's dealing with a calf. Um, he was limited though. He looks fine. I haven't seen any issues with him and obviously Pete Warner with the groin. So, you know, a lot of names on this list. The only one I'm really concerned about is Paulson Adebo because he's the only starter that I think is really in danger of missing time. Yeah, and you expect, you know, you're penciling Adebo in as your number two corner. Luckily, they have great depth there. A guy we're going to be talking about soon with Roby there to back him up just in case kind of thing. But then, you know, you start getting a little thin now if Adebo ends up having to miss the game. Uh, I was kind of curious, though. You mentioned the Traquan Smith groin injury, and it sh it sure looked like it was a shoulder issue when he left the game against the Chargers. And I'm curious if if that's even correct. I, I don't know if uh, the Saints made an error on the an injury report or if it really is a groin injury because he was definitely – looked like he was 
favoring that shoulder when he got, when he was walking off the field. So that's a big question right there. And with Werner, I mean, at least we're seeing him out there taking part in, in the practices because that's another key one for for the opening weekend, obviously, alongside Demario Davis, because we've talked about, I think, last episode about the questions at depth at linebacker. Yeah, and I mean, it was definitely a shoulder. I mean, DA told us it was a shoulder after the game. Like, he he said that. So we know he was dealing with a shoulder issue. So it's possible he's dealing with a separate issue. I, right. We did see him at one point throughout camp, like running with like resistance bands on, which is kind of yeah. a hip groin thing. So maybe it's been something he's been nursing. And, you know, it's just, you know, that they're still out with it. But we'll see. You know, we'll find out. You know, Trey, it's anytime you're looking at Trey and he's got an injury, you're, you know, okay, another one, you know. So we'll have to see. But either way, I feel comfortable with their depth at receiver. I'm not worried about about Trey. One guy who was called up to the active roster, which makes sense, was Chase Hansen, who is now on the 53. He filled that last spot that was open after they reverted Trevor Penning and Malcolm Roach to IR. They signed Tanner Owen, and that left one spot open. That spot has been taken by um, Chase Hansen, and then they signed Jake Luton, the quarterback, to the practice squad. So you now have a scout team quarterback. And Chase Hansen, I'm sure, is going to slot in at the backup Will spot because Andrew Dowell doesn't make sense there. I think he was just a placeholder until they worked out a deal with Chase. So, yeah, I think if you do need a backup for Pete Warner, it's going to be Chase Hansen, which it's a good sign he's not on this injury report. So, you know, that's that's good for him. You know, one of the things that has been an issue for him has been he hasn't been able to stay healthy. So, you know, if he's able to do that and get out in the field, you know, that's a that's a bonus because I think he has been good when he's gotten a chance to play. Yeah, and he was definitely aggravated leaving the field in Green Bay when he suffered that that latest ding. And yeah, those questions came up of why why is it that Chase Hansen cannot stay on the field? He's just one of those guys that has has been an issue since joining the Saints of of just not being able to stay on the field and has been has been a guy obviously this team's like because they've kept him around since 2019. No doubt. So there's one other thing I do want to talk about in relation to Michael Thomas. And it is that he apparently thinks he is, he is, his plan is to break his own receiving record. That's his, that's his plan. And uh, in case you were wondering. In 2019, is he, is he still I'm trying to top that. Top that, yeah, top that for sure. So how do you look at 149? Is that a goal to? At the one, at the end of the day, the one thing that I learned is that the game does not change. Like you know, there might be new players that come in, there might be you know new coaches, new whatever. The game doesn't change. It's all about creating separation, getting open, making a play, competing, and being physical. And those things I take pride in. Those things I work on every day. So I like my chances. And when the ball comes or when my numbers call, making that play and just you know, taking advantage of every opportunity and just being locked in, I feel like sky's the limit. Sky is the limit. Well, so the game doesn't change, but the teams change. A little bit. And my rebuttal to that would be, you know, I would settle for him playing 17 games. You know, that's that would be a huge victory in terms of, you know, getting back on the field. But, you know, uh, we were talking about this a little before we came on. You know, you don't catch 149 passes. You don't get 200 targets if there is a living body across from you, that is like an acceptable target to throw the ball to. Um, And that will be the case this year. (laughs) You know, when, when it was, when it was Ted Ginn 
and you know Alvin Kamara playing on a torn MCL and Jared Cook as the only other viable receiving option. Yeah, I'm throwing it to Mike every time. Um, when Jarvis Landry, when Chris Olave, when even hey Marcos Callaway, when Alvin Kamara are all out there and healthy, you don't have to catch ten passes a game to be effective. But it's going to make life easier on Mike. I don't need to see him be that crazy volume receiver, but I would like to see him make more of an impact in bigger in big plays and take advantage of the space that's going to be allotted to him that has never has been before because he was playing without, you know, he was never played with a guy like Jarvis Landry uh, across from him. Unless, I mean, other than maybe Brandon Cooks, his rookie season, that's, he hasn't really had kind of that star wide receiver too. And now he does that forces teams to be play honest on the opposite side of the field. So, you know, I love the confidence. <laughs> I would much rather have a confident Mike Thomas than a, than a Mike Thomas saying, well, we'll have to wait and see, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think he might be overselling it a little bit there. Another thing too is like that the relationship between him and Jameis Winston still needs to develop more. I don't think they have that same on the field chemistry that him and Drew Brees had at that point where uh, I think it was Drew even said like, I could just give Thomas a look and he would know what I was going, I was going to do kind of thing. And I, I know for a fact that the, that Jameis is not there yet with any of the receivers. Well, yeah, I mean, they've never completed a pass in a game. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's not going to have the level of trust and that he had with Drew Brees until, you know, maybe they complete a pass. The only, yeah, maybe, the only, maybe next year he could break the record. I don't think it's going to happen this year. It would be tough. It would be tough, especially when you don't need to be, you know, one of the reasons that you had to throw so many times is because you didn't have as dominant of a defense. When you have a good defense, you don't need to put up as many points to throw it as many times. Well, so what I think the only game that they played together was the second half of in against the 49ers in the 2020 season. That was the game that drew Brees cracked his ribs and had to leave at halftime. And I think he got, he had a handful of targets, but they didn't hook up, you know? And so you, you don't really know, you know, I've said a lot. One of the things that I'm really curious to see from Jameis Winston is whether he's willing to accept smaller games, you know, not every play can be a chunk play. Sometimes you just need to get six yards on first down and just move the chains. And that's what Mike Thomas is going to be able to get you as well as anybody. He's going to get open. He's going to get to his spot and you just got to throw it to him. You got to trust him to be there. And, you know, sometimes it's going to, I think great on Jameis's, you know, want to extend a play and, and find that deep throw that, you know, maybe will work one in five times. It's like, no, we just need to stack first downs and you want to take that easy money when it's there. And so, you know, that's something we have not seen and we're going to have to see. And Jarvis is, is going to be the same way. So it, I don't think it would be even possible for Jameis and, and Mike to hook up 150 times just because of the way that Jameis operates and you're going to score quicker. Drew, Drew didn't throw it down the field in that in his 2019 season, really. He's, his arm was jello at that point. So, yeah, I think, uh, again, like I said, I love the confidence, and I really do appreciate the um, attitude that we've gotten from Mike Thomas. I think it's a really healthy, productive approach that he's taking. But uh, I think 150 is off the table, uh, at least for this year. Yeah, and like you mentioned, the, the attitude's a big thing, obviously, because – 
you know, everybody remembers all the drama that was going on between him and the now departed CJ Gardner Johnson. He's he, he he's traded away the the tiff that they had at practice, and then there was the rumors of mistrust with the franchise after you know things went awry with the ankle surgery. So it's definitely been a huge positive um, for Thomas's relationship with the team. Seems to be. A-OK. I know even in the offseason, Dennis Allen flew out west to uh, check in on him while he was doing some rehab work. And as long as everybody's on the same page, the Saints are looking gravy right now heading into the season. And I know that everybody's anxious to see all these weapons on the field at once because, you know, we, we really haven't gotten that full taste of what this offense can be, I still think. Yeah, let's, let's knock off that segment there. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about Bradley Roby, Mr. Ballhawk himself. Stick around on Inside Black and Gold. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we're back. Here on Inside Black and Gold, I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller. Make sure to hit that subscribe button, leave us a rating, leave us a review. Tell us what you think, tell us what you don't. That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, we're going to get into what I've been wanting to talk about for a little while now, and I, but I wanted to do it justice. I wanted to pull some clips. I wanted to do some film study and kind of see if my kind of initial read on, on things was correct. And I think it did pan out, which is I don't think... Bradley Roby should be the dedicated slot corner. And I think that that's kind of where a lot of people went immediately upon seeing CJ get traded to the Eagles. And there's just been this idea that, okay, you have a dedicated slot corner for the last three years and he's the guy who's there. He's, you're not rotating, but I think this is very much going to be a rotation. And I think that in certain instances, you're going to see Bradley Roby there but in, in a large number of snaps, I don't think you're going to see Bradley in the slot. And there are a few reasons why. And I think one of the big ones is I want him to do what he does best. And one of those things is being a ball hawk. And I don't think you can be a ball hawk in the slot just because of the route you're covering and where you are on the field and the proximity you are in the, to the line of scrimmage will make it really difficult to be that. And I asked Roby kind of about, you know, the just the background of being a ball hawk and he like lit up immediately like this is clearly something that this is clearly a title that he appreciates and that he wants to have said about him um he has 11 interceptions in his career and he has earned them and i have some clips about that that i'll show on the, the video version of this podcast obviously um but here's what here's what bradley had to say when i asked him about this last week and one of the things that stood out throughout camp is all the interceptions. I counted, I, mean, I counted five. I don't know if there were any more. You know, is being a ball hawk kind of a, a mentality, or is it just something where you just find yourself in the right place at the right time? Um, I think 
you know, a lot of guys um, get lucky in the league and kind of get those lucky tips. You know, tips and overthrows, they're going to get those. you got to catch them. But um, you definitely have to have a mentality, those guys that uh, get picks every year and kind of get run them up the numbers. Um, it's a mentality. It's a, I'm going out here to get the ball. You know, a lot of guys go out there, I just don't want to get beat. And some guys go out there, I just want the ball. And it's really just your mindset. Because you're going for the ball, sometimes you'll get there early. A lot of guys, oh, knock it down, yay. You know, but some guys, I'm there early and I'm picking the ball. So there's different situations. Sometimes you're not supposed to go for the pick. Sometimes you are. You know, it's really just about uh, having that mentality and the confidence, uh, being able to catch too. You know, it's, it's not it's not easy just the last second turn around and the ball's right there. So, is, and is that something you've always felt like you've had, or did you kind of pick that up over time in the NFL? Yeah, I think it's something I've always had. I think those type of things are. It's when you're young, mm-hmm. you know. I played with offense when I was young. I thought I was a receiver. I thought I was going to be Jerry Rice. Didn't happen. <laughs> but, um, you know, just the mentality, I thought I was a receiver, so I kind of carried that. Mm-hmm. You know, just talking to guys and meeting a lot of guys with the league that are ball hawks, you kind of see, like, okay, they were in Little League, they were doing that. In high school, they were doing that. You, it's kind of, you don't just get to the league and just become a ball hog. You know, it's just, it's a feel for the game, I think, in my opinion. Ball hawks aren't made, they're grown. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's one of those things that I don't think – I mean, you can improve your catching ability, but that instinct that you have to have to be able to break on the ball or to, you know – I guess you could, you know, to guess the route, that's definitely something that is you're, – you're, I don't know what you're born with, but you definitely have that that kind of instinct within you. Yeah, yeah, and I think for when I for Bradley, you know, one of the things he said there that I think makes a lot of sense is that he came up on the offensive side of the ball when he was younger because he does have really good ball skills for a corner, and that's like a lot of times you'll have guys out there and they'll have a ball just knock off their hands, and you're like, well, that's why he plays cornerback and not wide receiver. But you know, what one of the things that he's done incredibly well in this camp is not only set up interceptions but come down with them. I counted five that he had in team drills. He may have had more. I wasn't at every practice, so I can't say definitively that that's the number, but I saw at least five. And, you know, I think it was the biggest difference when you look at a guy like Paulson Adebo, who was fantastic throughout camp, but one of my one of my criticisms of him, and it's a minor one, is he doesn't come down with enough interceptions. He gets his hand on the ball constantly, but he's not picking it. And I think it's it's not completely random right i think that there it's a skill to not only be able to deflect the ball but to set up the play and break on it and make a catch with your hands right and so i have some some film here that i'll describe as it's playing because some people are only listening to this obviously and i went through so i didn't go last year because his interception last year actually came in the slot but it was one of those lucky, like, okay, the quarterback just kind of threw a ball and it just fell into your hands kind of deals. So I didn't look at that one, but I did go back to his time with the Texans. And so I think I have four interceptions here and all four are in zone coverage. Three of the four are in off coverage. And you can see here, you're looking at 10 yards cushion of, of space. And so if you're ever looking and trying to figure out whether someone is in zone or man as a corner, Look at where their back is facing, right? That's the easiest way to identify it. If a, if a cornerback is playing man, typically their back is going to be facing the middle of the field. 
if they're playing zone, their back is going to be facing the sideline. And the reason is when you're playing man, you are almost always trying to use the sideline as a second defender. So you are trying to force an outside release and you are trying to limit the route tree of the receiver to only things that can be run with an outside release. So when you look at these, these plays, you can say, okay, he's in zone. And because of the way he's approaching this, he's retreating, 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 making sure that he's not getting beat to the, to the sideline and forcing the receiver to the middle of the field. He just tracks the ball like a receiver and he just goes up and gets it. And the ability to set up a play like that is much easier to make in zone coverage and off coverage. And it's not something you see a lot out of the slot. It's not something you see a lot from the saints because they thrive in man coverage. And that's why he's not necessarily a corner that makes a ton of sense for the saints. And that's why it makes a lot of sense. Why Paulson Adebo is like above him on the pecking order, because this is a team that does want to prioritize man coverage, but you can still find ways to to take advantage of this skill set. And I just don't think that the slot is the best way. You know, I want to see him in dime coverages. I want to see him in these off coverages where he's not being asked to jam. He's being allowed to just run down the field and make a play on the ball. That was against the Titans. He makes an interception. This is against, you know, friend of the program, James Winston. He's again, he's setting up outside. So he's going to try to force this receiver inside. I think it might be Mike Evans. And he just cuts it. He undercuts the the out. Much like Janoris Jenkins, if you want to go back to the 2020 season, it's a very similar interception to what Jack Rabbit had in that opener against Tom Brady. They're trying to run that speed out, and he just jumps it. He he knows the play, and he jumps it. This is one of the few that's in press coverage, but he's still not jamming. He's still trying to force – this might be Chris Hogan – still trying to force the receiver inside, and he's able to undercut it and go get the ball. And he can just has a really good sense for where the ball is going to be. And when he gets there, he's not just trying to bat it down. He is trying to intercept it. And that's, to me, the hallmark of being a ball hawk versus just being a, you know, jamming physical corner, which is what I would classify Paul Sinadipo as. This is back with the Broncos. He's wearing 29 in this. He's at the bottom of the screen. And this is a tough one, but you can see he just tracks this ball. This is Josh Rosen, probably with the worst pass I've ever seen. <laughs> and he just tracks it like a receiver, you know, and that's what he's able to do. And I want to see him be able to play to his strengths. If you go back to the Chargers game, he got beat deep on a play where they asked him to get up and jam on the edge, play man-to-man coverage with no help over the top, and it didn't work. And so I think that Bradley Roby is a guy who – you know, I think he would hold up in the slot and I think he's going to get reps in the slot, but I don't think that is where you want to pigeonhole him. I want to see PJ Williams. I want to see Justin Evans and I want to see Bradley worked into some, some dime coverages, some robber coverages where he can use his ball hawking ability and make big plays because, you know, pass broken up passes will change a drive. Big interceptions can change a game. And I, that's what I want to see from him. And I think he has the ability to do it. And so that's my very long rant on why I don't want to see Bradley Roby banging his head against the wall in the slot all season long. Well, don't you, what if, you know, say you have a healthy Paulson Adebo and you got Marshawn obviously out there as well, but wouldn't your best three corners on the field, you throw him into the mix as your slot guy? Again, it's it's going to depend on how the how the offense is attacking you, right? I don't want to see Bradley Roby lined up against Kyle Pitts 
constantly. I don't want to see him lined up against the tight end of the other team if they're in the slot. You know, even like Chris Godwin, a really big body wide receiver that's going to try to bully you. I don't like that matchup for him. But if, you know, if they're going five wide and you just have to match up across the board, yeah, sure, throw him in the slot, allow him to play off and make a play on the ball. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying he can't play in the slot. I just don't think that, you know, I think there's this tendency because CJ was so good and he was always the best option in, in the slot when he was here. I think the, the natural kind of tendency will be to say, okay, let's just lock that down with a dip with another corner or another defensive back and say, this is your job now. And when I asked Dennis about this, he said, you know, the idea is you're going to rotate, you know, you're going to have different schemes in place, particularly as it pertains to the slot for different matchups. So, you know, there will be some weeks where maybe Bradley Roby makes the most sense. There will be some weeks where maybe Justin Evans, maybe PJ Williams, more physical guys make sense because you really want to make the tight end, make the make the big wide receiver, make the AJ Browns of the world feel you when you can. And so that's that's where I want to see it from him. But you know, again, Bradley Roby, I think, is a very good cornerback. I don't think he's a perfect cornerback. So that's why you have to, you know, a perfect cornerback to me, like a Marshawn, a Patrick Peterson, guys who you can put anywhere on the field and trust that they will be able to do it as at the top at the top level at their position. I think that from a physical standpoint, Bradley can get taken advantage of. And so you have to be careful about how you use him and how you deploy him. And I think that's why it's, I think this is a good year to have Dennis Allen as your head coach, because he's going to know that he's going to understand that thing's going to do a good job with it. I definitely appreciate Roby's ball skills and all, but I don't, the, the term ball Hawk, I, I think we mentioned it earlier too, kind of gets overused a lot. Uh, just like goat, you know, everyone's the greatest of all time, just devil's advocate here. Bradley Roby's never had more than two interceptions in a season. And we saw Paulson Adebo his rookie year come down with three. Yeah. So yeah. there's an element, an element of randomness to interceptions. Right. But it's just a scenario where, you know, one of those interceptions from Bradley was, or from Paulson was that crazy one-handed interception against the Falcons, you know? And so it's, it's more about putting him in position to make an impact. And I think it's, you know, I, I would liken Bradley to uh, Jack Rabbit. Yeah, where, you know, I don't think Jackrabbit was necessarily the best man cover corner, but he got the job done. But he was a guy who, you know, you would trust to be able to jump around. Now, I've talked glowingly about the term ball hawk. It can be a bad thing. It's not always. And Bradley said this, you know, you're not always supposed to go for the pick. Sometimes it's the wrong play. Sometimes, you know, it's like a it's like a in, in basketball when someone gets really over aggressive and goes for a steal. And then you miss, and then all of a sudden it's a layup instead of, you know, them having to run offense. That can happen. So you have to be careful about how you do it and how you how you try to jump routes. Because you don't want to jump a route and miss, and then it's a 70-yard touchdown behind you because you left the safety out to dry. So there is, there is, there is hit and miss there. And that's why when you look at a Paulson Adebo and you say, yes, I, I'm very much okay with a guy who is able to just play physical coverage and knock the ball down. That's what you need the corner to be able to do. But I think that there's, there's a, there's a point where you want to reach with every cornerback where you can say, okay, this is the position I want them to play. 
and you want to understand what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and put them in positions to succeed. And that's what coaching is, right? That's what Brian Kelly would say he didn't do from Malik Neighbors. It's Hey-o. the it's it's the old you know they make a mistake and you say no, it's not your fault. It's my fault for putting you in the game. You know, that sort of thing. Right. We we've got to be better as coaches. Yeah, that's my favorite thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't worry. It's not. It's not the players' fault. It's my fault because I thought they were better than they are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of like a little backhand right there. Exactly. Oh man, that blew up on my Twitter. Uh, Brian Kelly, Brian Kelly saying, "Yeah, we made a mistake. We thought he was good." <laughs> yeah, it's the type of thing you can say in college, and and all you have is a transfer. If you say that in the NFL, you know the players are going to fight you. Anyway. But yeah, that's my that's my long rant about about Bradley Roby. I really do like Bradley Roby, and I just I think that the important thing for him is making sure that he is put in positions to succeed. And I don't think that having him constantly trying to to jam people in the slot is is the best option. That's that's what that's all that is. That's that's what that boils down to. If you don't want to listen to that whole rant, you can just fast forward to like the final thirty seconds, and that's my take. And you know what, with, with Roby too, you know, he's got the quote unquote skins on the wall and yeah, was just one of those other studs. I know everybody was definitely talking about a Debo during training camp uh, of how, being one of the all-stars, but Roby's training camp was definitely just as good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you saw the, you saw some of the warts in that Chargers game when he got beat over the top. And I think, DA after the game said, yeah, that wasn't a good call by me. That would put him in a bad situation. And that's, that's good coaching. Like that's not blaming the player for being who he is saying, you know, I didn't put him in position to succeed because there's a thin line there between, between being a, being an irritant and throwing a guy under the bus and actually being honest and saying that, sh- that was a bad call. Um, but I was going to say, Oh, the, the other thing, you know, you might not have the luxury of saying we can play Bradley Roby in the slot. Because you might need him to start on the outside. <laughs> right. Exactly. Because as we just established on the injury report, we haven't seen Paulson Adebo in a week and a half. He's dealing with an ankle injury. And even if he does go at this point, you have to at least have some concern about how that ankle holds up in the game. So I'm not sure you have the luxury of being able to say, yeah, we're just going to load up Bradley Roby and slot reps and and trust that he's going to be available, you know, when if we need him on the outside. So I think if you're looking at the slot against the Falcons, you are probably looking at PJ Williams getting the getting the bulk of those snaps, and I feel okay with that. I think I think he'll hold up in those snaps. You think Justin Evans could be a guy that could take that duty too? Oh, for sure, for sure. But I think he's the rotational guy. I think, and Deuce McAllister brought this up. I think you're going to see a good number of three safety um, yeah. reps. You know, you're going to see. I think you're going to see Tyron in the slot. I think you could see Marcus in the slot, Marcus May. I think you could see Justin Evans in the slot. But I think you're going to try to confuse people. You're going to try to move those guys around so the offense doesn't know exactly what you are what you were looking at every time. But again, that's going to put a big onus on these guys communicating in the right way. And when that doesn't go well, it can mean big plays on the back end. So hopefully it works. I think the Falcons are a good team to test that against because I don't think they have a receiver that scares you down the field. Um, and so that's, if I'm trying to trying to dummy out a, you know, disguised heavy defense, this is the team that I'm, that I'm looking to do it against. <laughs> yeah. There, there's definitely questions 
with the Falcons receiving core. And I know they tried to, you know, add a guy like Drake London in the first round, but there's even question marks if he's going to be able to play on Sunday. I'm pretty sure they're going to, you know, find a way to get him onto the field. But yeah, your, your big concern is Kyle Pitts, who's a tight end, but really a wide receiver. If, you know, to be honest. Yeah. He's, he's a big wide receiver. He's what Evan Engram was supposed to be. Right. He, <laughs> Um, you know, he's not dissimilar to Michael Thomas in the sense that, you know, he's not going to blow by you, but he's athletic enough and he's big enough that he's always open, right? Like, that's why Michael Thomas is always open because you can throw him open at any time. And, and that's what Kyle Pitts is. Um, if you throw the right ball, he's going to catch it because you can't move. him. You know, he's going to beat you up and he's going to get where he needs to go because he's a big dude and he can do it. Um, but yeah. That's uh, that's it, and I think we can we could probably cut it off there because the next segment's going to be heavily on the Falcons anyway. But yeah, Bradley Roby, ball hawk, lead in. TM, trademark. It's like when Paris Hilton tried to trademark that's hot. I don't think you could do it with ball hawk. Anyway, that's the end of that segment. Inside black and gold. Stick around. We're going to go through the keys, the three keys that I think the Saints need to hammer on to dominate the Falcons, not just win. Beat that bricks off him and make him remember it. Where Stick else can you get a Paris Hilton reference, too? Yes. I should probably cut that out or I'll get sued. Stick around on Inside Black and Gold. We're in the final quarter of the Inside Black and Gold podcast gearing up for Sunday's matchup against the Dirty Birds and... Jeff and I are going to talk about now not just beating the Falcons. He wants to dominate this team. Yes. And I think you're you're mixing up your you you got like a mixed sports thing going on because it's more like a hockey thing. This is the third, third period, segment. right? Yeah. So, yeah, we're in the third period, but it, I think quartered us. We're in the final. I don't know. Yeah, the we're going to have to come up with a better way to describe it than quarters because these right. are three. So Once anyway. I was saying final quarter, I realized that's incorrect, but I had to roll with it. Yeah, you did a good job. You're a professional. I wasn't. <laughs> um, anyway, so yes, we are going to go through the three, the three keys that I think the Saints need to focus on and do well in order to just flat out dominate the Falcons, make them wish they had never even bothered to show up, make them consider putting Desmond Ritter in the game in week one because I think that will be something they consider throughout the throughout the week, because Marcus Mariota, it's not that good. Did okay. you see the Falcons head coach kind of flipped out on the local media there about asking about Desmond Ritter? Did he? Arthur yeah, Smith? He's like, yeah, he's like, I'm not, not doing any hypotheticals. He said that, that famous line, and he's like, you know, M- M- Mariota is our starter. Yeah, until he's we'll not. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> okay, and on to that, key number one. Shut down the run. Now, I went through, I, I, I punished myself yesterday, and I decided to go back through a handful of the first six games from the Titans in the 2019 season. And the reason I did that is we don't have a ton of tape on Marcus Mariota and how you should expect him to be used with the Falcons. But... If you go back to 2019 and you watch some Titans games, there's this guy named Arthur Smith in his first year as the offensive coordinator for the Titans. There's this kid named Marcus Mariota starting at quarterback. 
that's the head coach quarterback tandem out in Atlanta right now. And while the offense isn't going to be a carbon copy of what you saw in Tennessee, I do think you're going to see a lot of the same tendencies that you saw there. One of those things is they run play action a lot. Like not just a, not just a high percentage. I mean, this is like, you know, you, you ever see a kid who like puts ketchup on everything and you're like, that's gross. What are you doing? That's the, that's, that's how Arthur Smith uses play action. When I, the, the second game of the season against the Colts, they ran play action on like eight of their first 10 pass plays and they ran the ball like six times. So like you're seeing a play fake repeatedly over and over and over again. And the interesting thing about it is when you use it that way, it almost works the opposite of how a play fake typically would, where you're running a play action because you're trying to suck up the defense into thinking it's a run, and then you're throwing it over the top. You're creating space behind the linebackers, and you can you can make some, make some hay there. But when you run it every time, it, it almost has this effect of desensitizing the linebackers where – they were like, oh, they're doing it again. I'm not going to even bother kind of coming up and like considering that this might be a run because they run, they run play action on almost every play. And so that actually makes it easier on the running back because when you do hand it off and, this Falcon, and, the, and the Titans did a lot of zone read action, I expect we'll see a lot of that from uh, the Falcons this weekend. You know, when you do hand it off and the linebackers are a step slow, that means you actually create some extra space. And for a team that doesn't run the ball that well you know Cordero Patterson is a solid running back but he's not even really a running back he's a wide receiver and I think Tyler Allgaier is another guy we're going to see you know if you can shut down the run and and make that not even a viable thing where you have to even consider it and you can just run blitz and go straight at Mariota um, I think that's going to go a long way and I actually I asked Dennis Allen about this on the conference call today, and here's what he said. Adia, when you try to prepare for you know a heavy play action team, you know what are some of the keys? What are some of the important things that you have to look for, and you have to kind of train for in those in those matchups? You know, the first thing is 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 you know you have to you know make the run game ineffective, and and therefore the play action is not as effective. And so, you know, we're we're going to have to do a good job, you know, of being able to. to you know, stop the run and, and, and try to make them get into a one-dimensional type of game. And um, But that's certainly, uh, you know, the challenge that you face when teams are able to run the ball and they're a play-action team. Uh, it makes it more difficult if they're able to run it effectively. But, yeah, that is a very boring and obvious answer, but an important one. If you can stop the run against the Falcons, you are not only going to limit what they can do on the ground, you are going to limit what they can do in the passing game. And if you can do both of those things effectively, you can dominate a team. Yeah, and it's actually pretty impressive. I'm I'm really surprised on what Corderell Patterson was able to do last year on that team. But I guess they really had no other real options other than Kyle Pitts. It was kind of like his his career was revitalized in Atlanta, which is kind of funny to say, considering how that how terrible that offense was. Yeah. And you know, when I say I I really don't like watching Marcus Mariota play. This is a guy who is mobile. Yeah. This is a guy who like should be able to use his feet. But when he gets pressure, he does he he actually reminds me a lot of Taysom Hill in that you know, one of the ways Taysom drives me insane, he's this incredible athlete, but you only see the athleticism when he pulls the ball down and runs. 
you never see him using his athleticism to extend a play to like escape the pocket and throw it. It's always, okay, I'm either just kind of standing still in the pocket or sprinting downfield. And that's what you see from Mariota here. It's a very similar like approach where it's like, this is a, there's pressure here, but it's not a terrible pocket. You should be able to step up, but he can't. He just kind of like flings the ball down the field and it's just awful. And like, that's, you know, you don't have a job a lot of the time. And I think that's a big part of the reason why. So if you can, if you can pressure him and, and also take away the, the play fakes, um, there's one other play that I'll show here that I, that I found in this, this long, this long uh, watch that one thing that the Titans like to do under Arthur Smith that I think we're going to see is they do this hard play fake into a screen. And when you have Derrick Henry, it obviously works a little better, but it's this really weird like play fake where then he flips around and just throws this long screen over to Derrick Henry. And I, a, a man-to-man team like the Saints could get beat here. It's almost, it's very similar to the play that the, the Saints ran that actually inadvertently ended up in Alvin Kamara's hands against the Packers, where you're just creating traffic in the middle of the field and you're sending the receivers to the opposite side and all of the coverage is running with them. If you're in man coverage, one of the disadvantages is you're turning your back and running. And so you're not able to see what's happening behind you. So if you can dump in a screen behind them, you can make a big play. And especially if you have a really athletic running back who gets a full head of steam and you're not stopping them, then it can work. And the the Falcons or the Titans did this three times in the first two games against this was the Browns and against the Colts. And I think this is a play that if I'm the Saints, I'm on alert for it because this is a play that can burn you if you have, you know, Marshawn Lattimore on that side and he's up going downfield with his back turned. All of a sudden, Cordell Patterson has the ball in the flat and he's sprinting down the sideline. It can be a big play. And uh, so that's that's one of the plays that I did that like I'm on. I'm looking for it because first first game of the year, you've been running all these all these drills. You've been running all these plays. You've been installing all this stuff. And uh, I think you're going to break that one out from the Falcons. So. That's uh, you, you gotta be aware of the play action. You gotta be, you gotta stay at home and then you have to be on alert for screens, both to the tight end and the running back, because they ran a lot to Delaney Walker back with the Titans as well. Very good tight end who probably doesn't get talked about enough. He's really good for a long time. And now, now this is a team with Kyle Pitts, so they're not going to use the tight end less. So that's, that's something I'm looking for. I'm curious to see if uh, Cam Jordan will have the same success uh, against Mariota that he did against Cam Jordan uh, against uh, Matt Ryan, who was like his best buddy that got sent away now to Indianapolis and uh, heard him on CBS sports talking about how he's sad. He, he missed, he's going to miss him. And he just wants to give Mariota a hug now. Yeah. And Arthur Smith also said that he was, he was kind of hoping that Cam would go into broadcasting with the, with Sean, but uh, that didn't yeah, happen. So. <laughs> Soon enough, Cam will definitely, Cam definitely seems like a guy prime for some kind of broadcasting gig. And he's basically already in broadcasting now. So it's just, just a matter of when he stops, when he makes that his full-time job. <laughs> yeah, he can just, that, that his personality and the way he's able to just relate to, I feel like everybody is, just makes him a, a great personality. No doubt. Okay, let's move on to key number two. Avoid turnovers. Now this is obvious, but it also needs to happen. You know, if you if you look at how the Saints found ways to win games down the stretch last season, they did virtually nothing on offense. Taysom Hill's entire MO, his modus operandi was don't turn the ball over. 
put the defense in good positions, take chances where it makes sense. And it does not make sense in a lot of situations, run the ball, get a few first downs. Maybe we can kick a field goal. It worked to a perfection against the bucks. It worked against the Panthers. It worked against the jets. And it's just, you know, when you can do that, when you have a really good defense and you can just not turn the ball over on offense and not give this team who shouldn't have a chance to stay with you, not, you know, false hope, you know, and let them hang around, then you can win a game going away. And that's what I haven't seen the Saints do enough in the last few years is just stop toying with teams, right? Don't let the Giants hang around. You're up 10 points. Make it 17. Make it three scores. Make it so that fourth quarter is boring. I want to watch boring fourth quarters if I am the Saints because this is a team that should be dominant on the defensive side of the ball, and they should be able to put up enough points that you can win comfortably. Not every game has to be this, oh, no, what if what if Nick Foles leads a game-winning drive? You know, what if we can't tackle Saquon Barkley right now? You know, that's these are situations that you should be able to avoid, and they have found themselves on the wrong side of it too often because turnovers come up in, in inopportune situations and you don't take advantage of the teams that you should beat, you know, and, and this is a long season. If you can find ways to, to get rest because, you know, you're beating a team by 40 points who you should beat, maybe 40 is an exaggeration. I just think the Falcons are that bad. You know, that, that's what you need to do is, is keep the ball, take the ball away from them and be smart, not turn it over on your side. And when you're talking about Jameis Winston, you always have to consider the turnover liability that he presents. And if he can continue to show that that's not a, a, something that's going to bug him, it's going to go a long way. And especially this week in terms of just making this a laugher. How come when uh, every time anyone talks about Jameis, obviously the 30-30 season gets brought up, but last year's numbers kind of get tossed aside. And obviously he was impressive when healthy in the seven games with the 14 touchdowns, three picks, you could tell that he was more selective in his throws, except for that one at least touchdown to, what was it, Marquez Callaway, that he called, he told Sean Payton, oh, God, that was the God's plan play. It was God's plan. Well, he, you know, I, I don't throw them aside. I think he was good last year, and he needs to continue that, right? He needs to prove that that wasn't an outlier right. and that that is how he can continue to operate. Now, I also think that to an extent, I want to see him be a little more aggressive, right? I don't, I'm okay with, you know, if you're th- putting up a 50, 50 ball to a receiver and you're giving them a chance and it gets tipped and it goes for an interception, there's nothing you can do about that. You are making the right play. And, you know, sometimes you just have bad luck. I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is if you go back to that Panthers game, there were a couple throws in that game that were just like, why? There was a, at the end, the, at the end of the first half, he was like falling to the ground. And he just lobbed a ball down the middle of the field. You were on the edge of field goal range. You probably weren't with the kickers they had last year, but you were on the edge of field goal range. If it was Will Lutz, you might have a chance. And throwing an interception there is just eliminating any opportunity you have for, you know, Will Lutz kicked a 59 yarder this year. You know, you know, he has that leg turning the ball over there because you just wanted to take a chance when you shouldn't have was a bad decision, right? He didn't do that a lot that was not something that you left a lot of games saying, wow, he got lucky here, but you know, you don't throw 30 interceptions by accident 
And I think that it's always going to be something that you have to continue to train yourself to just not take unnecessary risks. And that's what you're going to have to see this year. Yeah, I think that obviously that season always gets brought up with Winston and it's always the negative that gets brought up, which is a little annoying. And everyone disregards the 5,000 passing yards and also tossing the 33 touchdowns. But well, I okay, get it. Okay, here's the thing. If, you, if, if I'm supposed to ignore the 30 interceptions as an aberration, then I should also be able to ignore the 5,000 yards as an aberration because you don't throw for 5,000 yards unless you're losing in a lot of games when you're, because this was not a good team. You know, this was not a team that won a lot of games. <laughs> so, like, if you're throwing 5,000 yards and going 11 and 5, then fine. If you're missing the playoffs, it's it's not the same thing. It, it uh, You know, it's great that he threw for all those yards, but I, I'm not going to hold the 30 interceptions against him, but I'm also not going to pretend that that was some spectacular season because he threw for 5,000 yards. Well, Tom Brady did come in the next year and win a Super Bowl with that team. Yeah. <laughs> But the 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 rebuttal is, you know, who was he throwing to? <laughs> I think I think the four touchdowns that he threw in the Super Bowl were to players that were not on the team when James Winston was on it. Good so point there. Yeah. I think it, I think it, that is a dirty blanket. There's there's a lot of a lot of disingenuous arguments to make Jameis look worse than he is, and I think that's one of them because that was a very different team than the one Jameis was on. But anyway, you know, I digress there. We don't have to get too far into that. D Granger here. Come on, man. Let's not get cocky. The Saints don't live up to these so-called easy games. Right. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's that's why I'm saying these are the keys in order for the Saints to not have another just obnoxious loss to a team they should beat. I do think it's going to be a close game, though. I, I would not take the five and a half points and the Saints. I'm more comfortable betting the under in the game than I am putting money on the Saints to win. Although I obviously think they are going to win the game, but I, I still think it's going to be like that field goal type of game just because it is an NFC South opponent, and we've seen it way too many times. Yeah, five and a half is a lot. You know, there's a lot of ways that a game can end within five and a half points and honestly not be that close, right? That's right. why it's that's why I have a hard time with those spreads because, you know, you could be winning by, uh, you know, 17 points and then a team cuts it to cuts it to 10 with like two minutes left gets the ball back and scores with like three seconds left and fails at an onside kick the game was never that close but you don't cover the spread and that's why sports gambling is is uh heartburn inducing because that happens all the time um the three and a half points for lsu uh, you know, I, I made the mistake. So someone texted me and said, hey, should I take LSU minus three and a half? And me in my infinite wisdom didn't say, I don't know enough about college football. I shouldn't be giving you betting advice. And I said, yeah, you should totally bet LSU uh, three minus three and a half. They and, love you now. <laughs> well, and my and my my rebuttal afterward was <laughs> I'm not giving you a refund because if they make that extra point, I'm pretty sure they cover because that really felt like a situation where Texas A&M would have been reeling and LSU had a really good chance of either winning by seven or winning by four. And, you know, that's where, that's where sports gambling is obnoxious because you'll never know. You'll never know because that was a really close to being a insane bad beat on the Texas a I'm sorry, on the Florida state side, I might've said Texas A&M. Uh, and instead, you know, you just never got to see what happened. So sports gambling is the worst. 
and uh, that we, I think we can leave it there. Yeah, I, I just don't have enough money to gamble. I, I, everyone thinks that's funny that, you know, I cover sports, I'm involved in sports 24-7, but I have what they call scared money because I don't have much of it. <laughs> yeah. I bet, you know, it's funny, I gambled a lot more when it was illegal than I do now. I don't know why. Maybe it was just the excitement of it. I was like, oh, I can get paid out in Bitcoin. Great. Bad boy. Um, <laughs> now it's like I have all these apps and they're all telling me to do parlays and stuff. And it's like, it's it's weird to know that I'm getting taken advantage of willingly. When before it was like, you know, at least it's this like, you know, clandestine operation off the coast of like, you know, Kamchatka. And uh, yeah, anyway. It's strange. It's so, it, it's so easy now, too. Obviously, it's just everyone. It's on your phone. Although, you know, I was out at Caesars um, last Friday. They unveiled the new sports book. That that I, I you know I'm I am not getting paid by Caesars to say this. I highly recommend going there and watching a Saints game because they have a 145 foot screen. Ooh, you can put. It can be like a hundred different screens, or it can be two gigantic screens. And it's like, you know, it's like, you know how a moth just stares at like a bug zapper? Like, that's how I felt. I was just like enthralled. And, you know, if you're, if you're someone who likes to gamble, you like to do live odds, like that would be a really cool way to do it. I'm never going to get to go for a Saints game because I'm working, obviously. Although, you know, that would be great if I, if they're not going to fly me out to Atlanta, maybe I'll go cover the game live from, from Harrah's and uh, get free drinks. <laughs> Yeah, and then wouldn't be the worst know, way to do it. Yeah, that's not a bad idea at all. I mean, uh, it, I'm I'm still waiting to see like if the Superdome eventually gets a sports book in there, since they are the Caesar Superdome now, um, and and waiting for also slot machines in the in the you know in the concession area. Yeah, you know, it's a, I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch Harris. He's like, hey, pay me to come out there, and I'll do uh, inside black and gold live. Uh, give me drinks, and we'll uh, talk about the sports book. I'd be like, be you just pitch. trash sports gambling. Why would we why would we bring you in? Everyone trashes sports gambling. That's part of the deal. Anyway, okay. We have one more key. We have one more key, and this is even more obvious than the last one. Just show up. Just show up. Just just show up. Like, if you go back, there's a common thread between the the losses to the Falcons in the last several years. Um and it is that in the first half of these games, the Saints have just been laughably ineffective. Last year, the first half, week nine, that loss to the Falcons that they should have won. They they took a lead in the last two the last what 50 seconds and they blew it. They were shut out in the first half. They scored 22 points in the fourth quarter to come back and take a lead. 2019, week 10, that crazy game, the day after LSU beat Alabama and Tuscaloosa, I will go to my deathbed saying that that had an impact because these guys were up late partying. Um, even though there was no LSU players on the team, there's probably more Alabama players involved. Anyway, six points in the first half, and they, and they, and they lose that game, I think, 22-9. to nine. You know, come out strong. In the, in the last four wins, last year, week 18, 24 points in the first half, Week 11 of 2020, 10 points in the first half. Week 13 of 2020, 14 points in the first half. Week 14 of 2019, 17 points in the first half. Come out 
with a purpose. Don't let this team hang around. They're not good enough to just to just kind of waltz in there and, and expect to put up seven points in the first half and and not get pushed. Um, I don't know. It, it's it drives me nuts when I see a team that that is this talented just go into go into games and just just putter around for the first like five drives and then it's like oh yeah we're good let's win now you know I hate it I hate it again I want to see boring fourth quarters in order to have a boring fourth quarter you need to have an exciting first half that's my final key I I think the tough part is though too with the Falcons obviously this is everything to them is beating the Saints uh if if not you know their goal of making the Super Bowl like most other teams in the NFL, we can kind of see that this team is kind of in a rebuild and tank for next season. But even if they are in tank mode, it's still the New Orleans Saints that they'd love nothing more than to notch the win again so they don't have to hear Saints fans constantly battering them. Well, right. And and no team is tanking in week one, right? Like, no, like, uh, even if you've, you've built a roster that you think is probably going to get you a top 10 pick. You never know. I mean, like, there's a chance you just you catch lightning in a bottle and you just start really well, and all of a sudden you're making trades at the deadline because you're trying to improve this team. And the but you can demoralize that team quickly. Yeah. Right. The the best advice I ran cross country in high school, and the best advice my dad ever gave me was if you're in a close race with somebody and they're like, you know, maybe 50 yards behind you, you get to a sharp turn. The second you get around that turn sprint because by the time they get around that turn, they're going to think you're only going to be the same distance ahead, but then you're like way farther ahead. And they're like, what the heck happened? Like, that's what you want to do in these games. You want to just get out to, to a lead that they're just like, well, we're not getting there. And then they're not happy. Then they don't have the motivation, right? That's how you win games easily. It's what the Patriots used to do to the AFC East every year. And I think that the NFC South this year is very similar to what the AFC East was in with a lot of those Tom Brady Patriots teams that just sleepwalked to 13 and three and won the division. They were able to rest everyone down the stretch. And that's what I want. You know, I think if this team has a chance to make it to a Super Bowl, you know, which is unlikely, I think, but there, if you're making the playoffs, you have a chance. And I think for this team to get there, I think they need to be able to rest players down the stretch. And in order to do that, you have to win the games you're supposed to win, and and you want to win the games you're supposed to win handily. So that's why I just spent the last 20 minutes plus explaining these are the three keys that I think the Saints need to do to win this game going away that is stop the run, that is avoid turnovers, and that is get out to a fast start. Yeah, and uh, obviously Peter King believes that this team can go out and jump on these teams early and and – you know, put them away because he had them as the top seed in the NFC, which was really surprising. He did at 12 and five again, which, you know, if, if there's no team better than 12 and five, sure. It, you know, I, I have a hard time seeing this team get to 13 and four, but you know, it, in order to get there, you have to start well, right. You're no, no team go starts two and five and then finishes 12 and five. Right. 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 <laughs> so you need to start well. And if you can start well and win these games easily, then you can start talking about, you know, realistic op- opportunities to get a high seed and to go deep in the playoffs. But if you can't come out and just show the Falcons exactly where they stand in this division, 
then I'm not buying it. And that's I'm, it. I'm that's the end for me. That's that's all I have. That's that's the end of my rent. The 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 way the defense we're all expecting to perform for the Saints, along with all these new weapons on offense. Hopefully, we don't see a, a suspension for a guy like Alvin Kamara. I still want to see the development of Taysom Hill at tight end. I just, to me, this offense has that ability to be able to to complement this dominating defense as well and able to put up the points. It's just there's just a lot of questions that that have to be answered still. Obviously, yeah. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Inside Black and Gold, Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak and getting ready for game day Saints fans. And I know everybody's just as pumped up as us to see what this team can do against those dirty birds. Remember to give us a like on YouTube and also download our podcast on any platform that you care to. We're available everywhere, even the Odyssey app now, which is wonderful. And hoping that we have a happy post game wrap up as well after uh, now that we're in the regular season mode, we'll be talking about what we saw on the field and the aftermath afterwards. Yeah, well, let's figure out a time for that. But yeah, we should have a pod posting early Monday morning as kind of a recap catch up after the Falcons game. Also, tune in for first take, which for a noon start, I think we'll start right. at 8. 8 a.m. Woo! Yikes. Plenty well, of for you, it'll be, you For you, it'll be 9. Correct. Because this is a one, so in Atlanta it's a one p.m. start, which would mean a nine a.m. first take. I'll but. I'll still be heading to the stadium though, like probably like six a.m. with our engineer Robert Carroll, because he's got to set up everything and and I roll with him. <laughs> that sounds miserable. Anyway, yeah, uh, that's what coffee's for. Tune in for that eight a.m. over on WWL AM eight seventy FM one zero five three in the Odyssey app. We always have a good time, and we're gonna do a lot more of this. So thanks y'all, and whew, we got football coming up. Let's do it.